chapter uh, 13, but uh, our reading will begin in uh, verse number 12, uh, 27 uh, this morning. You know, one of the great things about uh, living here in America is we have so, so many things. We just have the uh, abundance of things that we have here in America. And uh, one of the, the downsides of having so many uh, things, uh, so many things that are available uh, to us, is that we have so many choices. You know, a lot of times I'm sure that the scene is uh, after, uh, after service sometimes when the, on the one or two Sundays that we're not having lunch here at the church afterwards, you know, you're, you're driving around and you want to go uh, out to eat. And uh, y'all look at each other and y'all say, well, where do you want to go eat? And, uh, and then the other will look back at each other and so, say, it don't matter. And then y'all just have this discussion about where you're going to go to eat because there's so many options that you really can't decide where it is that you want to go eat. But, you know, choices, a lot of times, uh, some of the trivials, but some of even the more important ones, you know, they really reveal something about us in our heart. The choices that we make really tell us about things. Because I know we like certain things. There's a lot of things that we like. But when we have to choose between one or another, it really reveals something about ourselves, whether it talks about what type of food that we prefer or where we like to travel or where we would like to go or who we want to have a relationship with. When we come to make choices, we have to make decisions and those decisions reveal something about ourselves. I was reading this week uh, about Solomon. And when God uh, appeared to Solomon after he had uh, secured his place on the throne, and God looked at Solomon in a dream and said, Solomon, um, I'll give you anything that you want. What is it that you want me to give to you? And if you just think about what it would be like if you were in that position, if God would give you just one request, one thing that he would give to you. And, of course, Solomon answered greatly. He said, I want wisdom to be able to do the job that you called, out me, called me to do because I am young and I'm inexperienced and I really don't know how to do this, what you want me to do, but I want to do a good job in it. And God was pleased with it. And the reason why that God gave him that choice, the reason why that God asked him that question, is that he wanted to see what was in his heart. Would he ask for money? Would he ask for vengeance? Would he ask for treasures? What would he ask for if he could only have one thing? A lot of times in life, we'll be presented with choices. And what we choose reveals What's in our heart? This morning, we meet some people that had choices. And in the deciding of their choices, we learned not just what they loved, but what they loved more. So let's turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 27. It says, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when uh, they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar and to burn incense and to wear the ephod before me? I gave to him a house and your father of all the offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then? 
do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commend it for your, uh, your dwelling and honor your sons above me by, by preferring themselves, on, by fighting yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father shall go in, shall not go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut you off your strength and the strength of your father's houses so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eyes on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed upon Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from the altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out and to grieve in his heart, and all of the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of man." And this shall become upon your two sons. Hephni and Phinehas shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a storehouse and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many things that you've blessed us with. But Lord, so many times we're we're tempted to choose to love those things more than we love you. And Lord, that I pray, Lord, as we hear the mistakes that Eli's sons and Eli's made himself, that we commit in our heart that we do not love just merely the things that you have blessed us with. But above all, we honor you who have blessed us with so many great things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We talked about in Samuel how it reveals to us stories about people who are not outside in the world, people who are not outside of the anointed of God, people who are not outside of God's children. But it gives us stories about people who were inside the people of Israel, inside God's family. And even as today we may think about these are people that we may find inside our church. These are people who claim themselves to be Christians. And we find a distinction between two people. We find those who truly love God and those who truly seek after God and those who are just merely here for themselves. And how God shows us in this book that he's making a a distinction. That he's wanting to clear out the people who truly do not love God, but really love themselves more. And he wants to bring in, he wants to exalt the people who have God as the focus of their heart. And no clearer way do you see that than as these closing verses of of chapter 2 where we meet Eli's two sons, uh, Hephni and Phinehas. And they says something very revealing about these two men, these men who are priests, these men who serve in the church, 
these men who are servants of God. And we read something very shocking about them in verse number 12. It says this, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. What? These are priests. These are people working in the church. These are people working in the temple. But it says that they are worthless men. They are worthless men because they do not know the Lord. And that's kind of judgmental. How can we draw that conclusion? How can we say with affirmity? How can the writer say that these people do not know God? How can we say that these people are worthless? Well, it tells us on further down when it describes their action. Because what they were doing is that they were not taking the sacrifices and doing them according to the instruction of God. Rather, they were doing it the way that they wanted to in such a way that benefited themselves. And so if you are someone that lives your life in disobedience to God's word, you really have to ask yourself, do you really know God? Do you really have a personal relationship? And let's just think about this scene that as we have people who are priests in God's temple, but yet they do not know the Lord. They don't have a personal relationship. And I just want us to think about our church. I just want to think about the church in general. And I want you to think about God's people in general and just think about how many people who walk among us, who sit in these pews who are playing the Christian music, who are wearing the Christian T-shirts, who are saying the right things and posting the right things on their social media, but yet they do not know God. It's a sad thing to really think about it, that here are these men who devoted their life to God and who were serving God, yet, but yet they did not know Him personally. But there are so many people that we will find in our churches today. So many of you who may be sitting here in this, right, in this room right now who may sit here all your life but do not know God. And it reminds us something very important. You don't get to go to heaven just because you sat in church all your life. You don't get to heaven because you sang the right songs. You don't, live the, you don't get to go to heaven because you did certain things that, or didn't do certain things that other people would do and did things that other people did do. But you go to heaven by having that relationship with God that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And so we find just this sad reality of so many people So many people who are in the confines of the walls of the church but really are just lost sinners wasting their time on Sunday. And we really need to search our hearts to say truly, and this is really hard for us for the people who are brought up in the church and who live here in the South where church is abundant and it's just great to go here and Everybody wants you to go to church. It's a cool thing to go to church. It's really hard for us to because sometimes we substitute that for having a true relationship with Jesus Christ. We miss out on that. We think just because we're here, we're one of God's people, but we're not. And so he says, these people, 
These don't know the Lord. How do we know that they don't know the Lord? Because they are not obeying your commandments. And you would have to ask yourself the next question. Why on earth would someone who doesn't know God, who doesn't worship Him, and doesn't want to obey Him, why on earth would such a person spend his time in the service of the Lord? And the Scripture tells us what they were doing is that they were using that position as an opportunity for their own personal gain. In other words, it's the funny way of saying it, they were doing it for the money. They were doing it for the benefits. And you would be surprised about how many preachers that you will see that are serving and that are doing these things, and they're doing it just for the money. They're doing it just for the power. They're doing it because just nobody else would hire them. They're doing it for their own selfish ambitions. And it eventually shows up, doesn't it? It shows up in their conduct. It shows up in the way that they were living their lives. As they were focused not on the people that they were serving, they were not focused on the God that they were to be serving, but rather they were focused on their own personal gain. And they used it to manipulate and take advantage of the people. You see, these people loved. They loved themselves. They loved that money. They loved that prestige. They loved that position. They loved all of that more than they loved God. And it eventually showed up in their life. Is that you this morning? You will notice a very interesting thing in this chapter because in these closing verses of of, uh, chapter 2, he kind of brings us back and forth between, well, here's here's what Eli and his children are doing, and then here's what what Samuel is doing. And you see that up. That these, these children of Eli, they're, they're worthless, and they're falling further away from God. And Eli, he's not doing anything about it, and they're just moving further and further away of God. But yet, we flash to these scenes in these next verses, and it talks about Samuel. And Samuel is growing in the Lord. And it talks about the visits of, uh, of Hannah, his mother, and his father. They would come to, uh, to visit them. And every year that they would come to make a... Uh, a uh, to make their sacrifices, Hannah, his mother, would always bring him a new ephod. You know, cute little ephod for him to wear up there in the temple. And you had to know uh, all the priests and all the people around him would rag uh, Samuel about his mother bringing his new clothes to him. He's like, oh, yeah, here comes mama with your new cute little outfit. But he's giving us, I believe... And God put on the writers of the scripture to show us Eli's sons and then to show us Samuel for God to say, you know what? I've done about had enough of these people. I've done about had enough of y'all. I've done had enough of y'all people who are in my house claiming to be my servants, profaning my name and abusing and taking advantage of people for my sake and under my name. I about had enough of y'all, and I'm about to clear you out. And I think the Lord in our nation, in our churches, has had enough of the pretend Christians, of the pretend 
believers. And he's ready to get them out. And he's ready to bring the true believers in. You have to ask yourself this morning, who are you? Eli's children, they loved money. They loved power, but they didn't love God. But then we see another way that we can see people who really are maybe in the church but don't have God in their life as Eli confronts his children. And he says to them, he says, look, what you are not, what you're doing is, uh, is not good and that you need to turn, you need to do better because God is not going to tolerate, God is not going to tolerate your behavior. If you sin against somebody, then God will intercede for you, Eli tells us. But if you sin against God, then there is no one to intercede for you. And so just as we see the unbeliever's attitude in their worship and their obedience to God, but we also see their attitude in their posture to when sin is revealed in their hearts, in their lives. And so when uh, Eli's kids are told, or Eli's tells, look, what you're doing is not right. They're like, we don't care. We don't care. Why did they not care? Because they did not fear the Lord. They didn't think he was real. They didn't think that God would actually see what they're doing and, and lay out a punishment for what they were doing. They didn't think that God could catch them. They didn't think that God could see them. And so they had no fear of God, and so they had no intention of repentance. They had no intention of changing our life. And that's the way some people are in the church. They see what they're doing is wrong. They see the way that they live in is not right. A preacher brings it up. Close friends brings it up. They read it in the scripture. They see it clearly for themselves, but they don't change because they don't care. Because they don't know God and know that he is a God who demands us to be holy just as he is holy. They didn't repent because they didn't care. But then you look at Eli. Eli Eli was a good man. Eli was a man who followed God. And Eli was a man who tried to do the right thing. But it was just a little bit different when it was talking about his kids. Isn't it that that way with y'all? It's different when you're talking about your kids. It's different when you're dealing with them. You may have positions or you may have stance against certain things. But when it comes to your kids, maybe they get a little with away with a little bit more. And some of y'all here this morning, well, my mom and daddy weren't like that. They used to beat the snot out of me. When I did wrong, they used to teach me to do right. But then the grandkids come along, huh? And that's a different ball game. Grandkids get away with anything and because uh, we love them. And it's good that we love our kids, and it's good that we love our grandkids. But we always have to commit in our hearts that we love God more. Eli was the priest 
He was the high priest, and he had an obligation to God, and he had an obligation to the temple. But he abandoned that responsibility to God, and he abandoned that responsibility to God's people because he honored children more. He didn't want to see them punished. He didn't want to see them to be removed. But also we find that he was also complicit because he enjoyed in the fruits of their sin as, he got, as they got the choice meats and as they got the share, a greater share of the offering. Eli would enjoy that and he would feel in that and that blunted his response to his children. So we may think of it like this in our life. Eli was really upset about what they were doing, but they didn't do anything about it. And I think that's a lot of us a lot of times. We're upset about a lot of things. You hear you coming in, uh, hear us coming in on church on, on Sunday mornings, buddy, we're upset a lot about a lot of things. We're upset about the government. We're upset about the price of gases. We're upset about what those people over there are doing. We're upset about a whole lot of things, but we sit and we muster and we simmer in our pots of, uh, of discontent and anger, but we really don't do anything about it. We're upset about the state of our church, but yet we don't do anything to change it. We're upset about the state of our life, but we don't take steps to make changes in our own life. We're upset about a whole lot of things, but we don't make changes because those changes will put us into conflict with our relationships and those things that we love are those benefits that we have because of the wrong that's being done. And so we don't say anything. We don't do anything because we love those things more than we love God. And that's where Eli was. He let the blindness, uh, he let his relationship and his supposed love for his children discount and dishonor his relationship with God. And in doing so, it seems like a good idea, but yet we see what the consequences of. Listen as God speaks to Eli, as he brings his rebuke. Listen to what God says. God says, Eli, didn't I choose your family? Didn't I choose your father? And Eli's father would have been Moses because he was of that lineage of Moses, and that's where the lineage of the priests came from. Didn't I choose your father to lead my people out of Israel? Don't I have a high calling on your life? Don't I have a purpose for you? And then he goes on to say, don't I give you a portion of the sacrifices? In other words, haven't I give an, a portion for you that as people bring their sacrifices, you get a portion of those, you get to enjoy of the breast, and you get to enjoy of the thigh, and you get to enjoy the portions of the oil and the grain and everything that uh, is brought to you. So I have allotted for you, and I have given those things to you. I have taken care of those things for you. I watch out for you, but yet those things mean nothing. 
to you because you want it more. But listen here, Eli, God says, since those things didn't mean nothing for you, here's what's about to happen. He says, I'm still going to bless the people. I'm still going to do great things. I'm still going to move my kingdom forward. I'm going to bring prosperity upon this land. I'm going to bring prosperity to my people. I'm going to bring victory to them in battle. I will raise a king, and he will rule over my people. I'm still going to do great things. I'm still going to do what I plan to do. But you are not going to get to be a part of it. What a punishment for God to look at him and say, I chose you to be my servant, but you wanted no part of it. And since you wanted no part of it, I'm still going to do those things. But yet, you're going to miss out. We think back to Judas, how he had the great opportunity to be one of Jesus' disciples. But yet he rejected it. He rejected it for money, and he rejected it for something else. What a sad story. And what a sad story for us when we think about the Lord and how much he loves us and how much he gives us and how much he blesses us with and all of those benefits, the psalmist said this morning, that he gives to us. And I pray that as you have time this evening, that you'll look back through Psalm 103 as he lists those benefits of what God brings to us and just to meditate and to thank God for what he has done for us and all that he blesses us with. But I want to ask you something. Does that mean anything to you this morning? Does God mean anything to you? Or have you just been here sitting in church but yet living your life the way that you want to, not really knowing God. And I pray this morning that everyone in here is not just someone that's hanging out on the pew, that someone that's just not coming back and forth, but rather someone who knows God because he desires to know all of us and he desires to have a personal relationship with you. And he desires to pour on you all the benefits of being his child. And I pray that all of us who do know Jesus will resolve in our heart to love him more than anything else. Even when we have to make difficult decisions with our kids and our grandkids and friends and some of the people around us, that we not shy away, but we choose to love God more. Because we know in the end what the scripture says for us. That one day he says, I will have a priest who will do what's on my heart and what's on my mind. And he will constantly go before me. And in that verse he tells us about how they're going to get replaced by Samuel. But he even projects that forward as he says that one day, one day, we will have that great high priest in Jesus Christ. And isn't it great that we have him now? That he goes to God before us, interceding us and praying the prayers and asking God for the things 
that we don't even need. Why on earth would we love anything more than what Christ has done for us? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the things that you've blessed us with. And Lord, I pray, Lord, this morning we remember those things about how good you are to us. And we desire and resolve in our heart that we will love you more than anything. Lord, we will never choose those things that you have blessed us with over the one who has blessed us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing a hymn of invitation. I pray that you will